You are listening to Leverage, the podcast about power, politics, and influence. I'm Crystal High Taylor. And I'm Breon Wells. And today, to set off this marvelous episode, Breon, let us start by mourning the Black History Month that was. Oh my gosh, what what happened? Where to begin? What What is going on in the world? What is life? What is life is the question. I mean, considering it is the shortest month in the year, right? It was still yet the longest month in history because we started off, like we have said so many times, with a shout out to Northam, who decided he wanted to blackface and then do a press conference in which he said, it wasn't me. He put a shaggy, right? It wasn't me. And then he was like, but instead, it wasn't me then, but I did blackface as Michael Jackson. And I think I I said at the time, his wife is the one that didn't want him to really step down in this. Because it was clear who was in charge in that whole press conference uh, when he had to give permission <laughs> to not moonwalk. You see what I'm saying? In poor taste, anyway, to not moonwalk in said press conference. And so Pam Northam <laughs> apparently um, decided that she wanted to get in. I guess there's unity in marriage, right? So I guess I'm, she said, I'm, he's going blackface, so I'm going to hand out cotton to African-American kids and other kids so that they can experience slavery. And I'm going to ask these black kids to be a part of this collective of experience in your mind. Go back to what slavery is. I'm going to ask you to re-traumatize your ancestors. Imagine, imagine. Let's go back in time as you hold this cotton in this kitchen and we talk about slavery and all the black people who were, you know, um... (laughs) Living their best life? No, not living their best life. Why? Because they were enslaved. Okay, you out here trying to ask the kids to relive that moment and remember that? Like, how do you not think about the psychological damage on top of just the pure embarrassment that that's going to cause for those children in that situation. I guess the only thing that didn't make it a complete and total failure, which it was a very big fail, but a complete total failure was that she didn't have uh, Negro spirituals playing in the background. You see what I'm saying? Like (laughs) it didn't feel fully like roots. Um, And so that, I mean, there's not much to salvage there. It's a really low bar. Right. And then of course we had, um, we had, you know, Friendly Fire by Jesse Smollett, who, you know, kind of drug us through in all the months uh, of all the months he could have chosen, you know, Black History Month is when this went down. And R. Kelly. Y'all was out here trying to make the wrong kind of black history. That's exactly what happened right now. It's like we were celebrating black history, but then somewhere we turned really far left. Right. And it was like, let us create some bad black history so y'all can just feel frustrated and oppressed and as if progress has totally dissipated and we just gonna roll back several minutes, several seconds. Well and and, and let's not forget though, in the whole R. Kelly. We must not forget Robert Sylvester Kelly. Um, (laughs) Apparently, a daycare owner decided she wanted to enroll herself in the R. Kelly Superfan archives by posting his bail of $100,000. Daycare owner. Now, don't get me wrong. Daycare owners make some sort of good income if you have the stamina and you have the, you know, wherewithal to be able to do that. But um, of the $100,000 that rolled in, you thought that you would post that up for Robert Sylvester Kelly. His record label has dropped him. 
they've taken his passport so he can't do these tours, I guess, you know, in Germany and Sweden and all these other things. But you decide where you could have put a young black girl through college. I mean, what? let's just go down the road of what one can do with $100,000. Dr. Seuss said all the places you could go. You can go to college. You could put somebody through school. You could, you know, pay somebody's health care. Nope. You give R. Kelly his reprieve out. Is this what's happening? But can the irony not be lost on us, though, that it's a daycare owner? Right. Who wanted to be a super <laughs> fan for R. Kelly? We just we could take a moment on that alone because it. I'm, they all canceled Black History Month. I mean, let let us not remember these people as the epitome of Black History Month. But boy, it gave us something to mourn, didn't it? It, it really did. I. I want the month uh, over, like a redo without any of these people in it, if possible. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> can we have one over again? But uh, apparently that's not going to happen. So um, maybe we should do a 10 second moment of silence for what could have been. What 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 tragically was of Black History Month. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I support it. I'm quiet. You're listening to Leverage. The podcast about power, politics, and influence. Well, Brian, you know, if we want to talk about uh, ways to perhaps, I don't know, forget the Black History Month that was or crowd our minds with new and different things, we had the Michael Cohen testimony last week. How, how was that for reality TV drama for you? So I will use, in Nod of Black History, I will use a book title, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. <laughs> and apparently this cage bird sings because he wants to go from three years to one. You see what I'm saying? He's going to get that. He's trying to get that three to one, pare down his jail sentence. He was singing like a canary on Sunday morning in the gospel full Baptist church choir. You see what I'm saying? He found his deep down wherewithal, that spirit of embrace, and he he was he was showing us checks, personal checks that Donald Trump wrote to him, you know, that was supposedly for um what the administration is claiming is is these checks, thirty five was it thirty five thousand dollars um for eleven eleven checks, but twelve twelve months worth. <clears throat> $35,000 in which they said it was for keeping him on retainer. Funny thing is, in the spirit of Petty, there was not actually a signed contract of such retainer agreement. Like you and I and other people, consultants and lawyers do, you know, retainer agreements, but they're followed with a contract that says what this is for. And magically, it covers the hush money for these um, extramarital affairs to keep it Disney, that Donald Trump was having as he was lounging around, you know, salaciously um, around New York and, and whatnot and all these other spaces. And so, you know, he showed us checks. He told us how he fudges the numbers. He told us who had offices on the 26th floor with Donald Trump, which has now led to this Alice in Wonderland rabbit trail where we're trying to figure out who should come before Congress next. Um, and it was funny because the Republicans were quite, um, they didn't have too much that they could really respond back. They didn't really defend Donald Trump. They just spent their time trying to tarnish Michael Cohen, who is already on his way to prison May 6th. Like, 
Mm. <laughs> but you go, it's so, but but here's the thing, right? Although Cohen came with all the receipts, when you step back at the end of that, how long was it? Seven hours? Seven it, plus the, hours, right? The, and the, he had done nine hours deal. before the day before. He's doing a right, so, he's doing a tour. So when you step back from all of that, though, and you consider the current climate, granted, there's a caveat that we know we have major election year coming up. But if you step back. Is Cohen's testimony enough to take down Trump and this administration? Like, what what are your thoughts around what realistically can be expected at, at this point? Because I think, to your point, so much of his testimony, I think, is this kind of last moment, last ditch effort to say, you know what? My bad. I know as a part of some crazy stuff, I'm going down anyway. Can I wink, wink, maybe reduce my sentence or at least try and get a little bit of spin so I don't look like I am entirely on the wrong side of history with this? Like, right. But, but I mean, where so do we the go best from there? Way, the best way to try to describe it is, um, you know, it is possible that it could lead to something we don't know fully right now. And I'll get to that in a minute. But we have to remember that we're looking at two tracks. You're looking at a political track and you're looking at the legal track. <laughs> Legally, um, Robert Mueller is scheduled at some point to release this report. I'm going to remind everybody that report is just recommendations. That report in and of itself is not going to lead to Donald Trump going away in handcuffs because there's even as well this precedent that is there, not legally, but there's this practice that the DOJ has where they try not to bring charges or try a sitting president um, for, you know, uh, uh, um, for illegal actions of up to some sort. Um, however, on the political track, the Democrats are very much looking and Nancy Pelosi and, and the Democrats don't sound like they have enough where they feel comfortable necessarily at off of his testimony um, impeaching him. However, of all the seven plus hours that he did publicly, there was one sentence or, or one type of phrase that he used that should have made Donald Trump nervous. And that was when Michael Cohen said, I am actively cooperating with the Southern District of New York. <laughs> because while the DOJ and Mueller is probably not going to provide, you know, because their scope is on Russia and collusion. However, when we're talking about fudging numbers, tax evasion, some of these other things that might be out there um, that can impugn his family and, you know, and them and all they that be, we'll say that, <laughs> all they that be in the party all at all, be. right, mm -hmm. you know, that can come from the Southern District of New York. And so, you know, that's why it remains to be seen because... Michael Cohen is not just being a cage bird that is singing for Congress. He is singing for the Southern District of New York that is gunning for Donald Trump. And they can, they can bring legal charges and they are not bound to not try a sitting president. You know what's so funny? It's like when I caught glimpses of the testimony, because Lord knows I was not watching the whole thing for seven hours. I had other thanks, other thanks to to do, but I could not help but think about, remember the movie with, um, who was it? George Clooney, um, where he was a fixer. Now I'm mm -hmm. blanking on the name. Uh, mm -hmm. what was the name of the movie? It was, I feel like his name was Michael somebody, right? It was Michael, 
Michael Clayton. There it is. Yes. I was about to say, was it Michael Cohen? No, Michael Clayton. No. <laughs> but but there was like this line in that movie where he's like, you know, I, I'm not the guy you kill. I'm the guy you try and pay off. And so in the yep. midst of all of this, you wonder, it's like, okay, so for all these many years, Michael Cohen was keeping Trump's secrets, helping to obfuscate all sorts of information and relevant uh, intel about this man and his operations. And now you're ready to sing. I mean, I know you going down, but they didn't offer enough of a payday for you on the back end. Right. You right. know, for, for you to want to keep quiet, which which is such a fascinating dynamic to me. But it also makes me wonder, like, ooh, how safe is this man about to be that they didn't find it necessary to try and pay him off to keep the so, goodies and the secrets? So I will say this. Technically, depending on interpretation, they did pay him off. And that's what he's fighting, that, that thir- those... Twelve thirty-five thousand dollar payments <laughs> were about right that that the Trump administration is trying to do. But here's the part I will say: there was one part that because of the line of work that I do that raised my eyebrow. I I was with him when he said, you know, I'm a fixer. I'm the guy that these people call at three a.m. in the morning to help you know fix these crises, these nightmares. Then when he said I was the one that um, would call these small businesses, basically that Donald Trump was stiffing and let them know they're not getting their money. I was the guy that did that. But when he got to the point where he said, and Donald Trump convinced me to basically take collateral out on my own mortgage. I was like, er, you, you went into your <laughs> own personal raggy, raggy. You went into your own personal sash. Like, I get that for a family member, but a client, and not just any client, you're the guy that's telling these other people they can't expect their payment for very valid services they rendered to Donald Trump, how bold you were to gamble. Now, you you got the money at the end of the day, but, like, that was that one moment where I was like, yeah, you're kind of stupid. I, I mean, you can't even say naive at this point because you were the guy that was doing, you know, letting these people know, yeah, he's not going to pay off. He's he's not going to do come through on his word. So, you know, but all of this said, I think that people very much need to moderate their expectations and manage their expectations by realizing 2020 is your best chance to go ahead and resoundingly let your feelings be known on the trust gap that maybe exists between your president and you. (laughs) Because if indeed the DOJ decides that they want to hold to this pattern and practice of not trying a sitting president, and if I'm Donald Trump, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to run for re-election with all of my heart, with all of my mind and soul, because as long as I'm in office, I'm able to delay something that's coming down. So, you know, maybe we should expedite his stay in Comfort Inn. Is that what they call the prisons now? <laughs> that's what they try to call it for black and brown folks. But, you know, maybe maybe we should expedite his stay since it's so comfortable, you know, that we like to throw a lot and masses of people into, <laughs> into these prisons. Um, you know, we need to focus not necessarily on these... To- on these uh, testimonies and hope that Michael Cohen's and such will give us these gotcha moments. You need to start building your 2020 strategy um, and determine what that looks like for you because he has proven we gave him a chance. All of us weren't for that, but 
masses of America apparently decided to give him a chance, and hopefully we've seen that um, we got the short end of the stick. Como hmm? <laughs> de vous? I don't, I don't know. Yet. <laughs> and that's a segment to me. Like, I'm going to just be quiet. I feel like we should... This is the production of for Alicia after Brian does his little como tally <laughs> cut there and go to commercial because, I mean, what more needs to be said after that? You're listening to Leverage, the podcast about power, politics, and influence. So, you know, Brian, I think you left us off with not only some really good food for thought about what to expect going forward on the Cohen case, but even if you think about how that then relates to the elections coming up, right? You mentioned it's time to start preparing strategy. And if you're really upset and frustrated, really begin looking at your strategy for the 2020 elections. I think we cannot talk about the 2020 elections without some of the new developments underway currently, both with regard to the Voting Rights Act um, and, and things around campaign finance and everything. So give us a lay of the land with both, you know, the legislation that just came out, where we where we headed. Right. So, you know, I'll remind everybody that last November, this past November, we elected quite a, a new and the most diverse Congress that there was. The Democrats took back you know, the House. Um, and But there was a few spaces where we lost some people that we thought that we had a strong shoe in. And one of those states was, you know, Stacey Abrams in Georgia, which bled right into this whole voting rights because there was a lot of voter suppression tactics that were in play in Georgia and in Texas. And so one of the things that the Democrats seem to be doing in their power play um, to try to position themselves is to um, very much go after H.R. 1, which is which is uh, titled For the People. And it's, if you will, this broad cadre of... Um, voting rights and voter election type initiatives, everything from automatic voter registration to same day voter registration to um, um, campaign finances, you know, to try to get money more manageable or out of elections, which, again, is going to be interesting to see that they're taking that space, given that they actually outspent and out fundraise the Republicans in this last election. And so I hope that they stay consistent uh, with the better angels that shout there. You know, again, I'm I'm not Democrat or Republican, but here's looking at you, Democrats. Uh, I, I, the best way to say it is don't trip right now. Don't don't trip. <laughs> let's let's stay up and uh, up and about. Uh, but it also deals, you know, as well with some some parts on that presidents would have to show their um, taxes, um, you know, moving on here out. It's been a pattern and practice up to now, but it has not been legally required. And this is what H.R. 1 would do. Simultaneous to that, they just dropped within like this past week, I want to say the Voting Rights Advancement Act, uh, which would seek 
to remedy what was struck down in Shelby County v. Holder. Basically, that formula that allows us to hold states that have a pattern and practice of historic racism, historic um, um, language barriers when it comes to voting rights, you know, um, it holds them accountable and ensures that they would have to be pre-cleared before they can move forward in any of their voting rights um, uh, programs. And so, and, and even in their electoral programs. And so, you know, this has been introduced by Terry Sewell out of Alabama. And it was strategically introduced this past week because over this weekend, what we saw is that there was this march in Selma, um, which the Faith and Politics Institute does. But there was a, a myriad of organizations that gathered as this is the... 45th the uh, let me not be bad at math right now we but we have this is this is definitely i want to say it's like 54 years that's what i want to say is 54 years after <laughs> the voting Ooh, rights right and you 45. know 45 wait 40, 50 I th- is it 45 45 okay math we'll check on that and get math. back to we y'all work on our math we gonna right work on our math. <laughs> But what they did is they wanted to make a nod to that. So you had most of the 2020 presidential contenders on the Democratic side who, you know, thought it necessary um, to be present. Um, Of course, John Lewis, who is the civil rights hero and pioneer who was um, actually present during the original Bloody Sunday, was beaten, um, you know, and, and, and really got his stripes. Um, for us to have our right to vote. He was there. Hillary Clinton was there. Um, And so, you know, we're seeing that these Democrats are very much trying to position this open forum for voting rights to make sure that everybody's voice is counted and is heard. We'll see what Republicans respond to that, particularly in the Senate, um, because it's widely um, understood that it's probably going to pass the House. They have the votes for it to pass the House. It's just, will it get through the Senate? And then, will the president, you know, this same president who said that there were 3 million voters in California that voted illegally. Mind you, he won the the <laughs> Electoral College, but he lost the popular vote and he was trying to blame that on the illegal voters. So we'll see what, you know, what he has to say. Um, and, and what he's going to do. But yes, the name of the game, you ought to be calling your members of Congress now that they have put out that, you know, I think by this upcoming Friday, they will have the vote on H.R. 1 and the VRAA is going to be around for at least the next six months. Um, and so you want to make sure that you are, you know, holding, taking that little black book that we always reference. You know, and 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 call your members of Congress and let them know, hey, this is something that that means, you know, that I can have my say. There's nothing more urgent than my ability to uh, be able to speak into dem- democracy. And if you don't uphold that, I'm writing your name in my little black book, and you're going down. It's it's you know that that type of simplistic <laughs> strategy. Look, the strategy is simple, although the math was not. It is 54. <laughs> it, is, it is 54. It's like 45? 54. Thank you. 54? Thank 45. You. Look, th- this is why we do policy and politics, because math is not it. We, we are not the hidden figures. I, right? Not at all. And <laughs> I try not to practice lying. So, you know, I, I, I want to be sure in what I said. <laughs> 54. Thank you, Wikipedia and a calculator. Yes. Doesn't math work? But you know, so I, 
One, I think, you know, the, the effort to bring greater structure and reform back to what our voting rights um, structure is, is beyond necessary, especially if you look back at the ways our, our current voting rights structure has been eviscerated, right, mm-hmm. um, over time. So I think that dynamic of things is necessary, spot on, could not be more timely. But two of the points that you raise, you know, both with regard to whether or not this legislation will pass the House and whether or not this president would actually sign this kind of legislation, it it leaves a question, I think, or at least raises a question as to how much of this is maybe political theater, you know, like leveraging what we know is the moment, right, where we've we've seen... Um, the turning of the tide of the house and this being the most diverse Congress in, in history. Like, so unquestionably it's the right thing to do. And from a time perspective, it's necessary, but is there, you think, is it more political calculus of like, you know what, this is our moment. So we can actually cross the finish line. Or do you think it might be more political theater of, Hey, you know what? Elections are right around the corner. Let's do some, you know, something else that we know is going to gem up our base, get people excited, engaged, interested, and feel like there's a vested stake here where if you had to place your bet, where would your money be? So it it absolutely is political theater, but I will say this. There is a difference between public policy and policymaking and politics. Politics is important in making sure that public policy that helps people gets passed. So undoubtedly, there is always going to be political theater that is, you know, in play. And I think that... um, People should capitalize this moment, particularly, you know, uh, right now, if I had to single out a very strong force in this Congress, it is the CBC and black America. This is why a lot black, red and yellow, black and white, these 2020 contenders were in Selma because they understand that Hillary lost because two million fewer black voices were either counted doing due to voter suppression or because they weren't feeling you. (laughs) And so, you know, the black vote is absolutely important. Um, that being said, that means that we have to make sure in on the ground that we're not being um, used and exploited in this political moment because there is a intention to settle for election protection, you know, vis-a-vis trying to make sure that Russia doesn't come into which is important however that in no way substitutes for the injustice that has abounded for black and brown folks and the poll taxes and the other things that have historically been around to make sure that certain voices that people think vote democratic um you know will will try to limit their voice in their free speech so make that vraa at the top of your priority if you had to choose between hr1 and the vraa y'all need to be shouting out vraa all day well, to, to that point, I guess we'll be seeing in the next couple days how, how that vote turns out and then take it from there. Right. You're listening to Leverage, the podcast about power, politics, and influence. Well, Brian, as we get ready to close out this week's episode of Leverage, we would be remiss if we did not spend at least a little bit of time talking about the latest contenders to join the presidential field. We have. That's right. We have it official. It is official, 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 official. Bernie Sanders has announced his candidacy. He is in the race, as is Jay Inslee. 
How do these things make you feel? So first of all, I think Alicia is probably queuing up these new two names, right, for our Hunger Games style. Because as they, <laughs> once we get to election and the primaries, you know, we'll do a special shout out of all oh, such and such has been eliminated. Um, but yes, Bernie has thrown his hat in the ring um, and he has decided to embrace um, diversity in a way that he did not in the 2016 election. Um, lesson learned or opportunist still remains to be seen. Um, but, you know, uh, because he, he did, I will remind us, he did shout down Black Lives Matter in 2016, you know, yes. told them, told them to be quiet, told them to have several seats. And of course they weren't having that. Um, and so in this new one, I think it was this past Saturday, he did this whole to do in New York he reminded us of his story, you know, and, and and tried to make the personal connection and feel. And he made a lot of very broad, go hard or go home um, statements, you know, Medicare for all he supports because the Democrats seem to support it. And now they're kind of like, eh, we don't know. <laughs> and I will give a shout out. We, we at some point. Uh, Crystal, we should do something to bring on some people that can speak towards Medicare for all because. It's nice in name, but apparently it's not really for all. Like, for instance, the disabilities community. And there's a, a myriad of other voices that, you know, for political theater, sounds good to say Medicare for all, but in actuality. But, you know, he said eliminating tuition in all public schools, you know, is, is speaking towards the younger crowd who he had. What remains to be seen with him is just like younger people. We, we do. We are passionate. We're out there, but young people still don't come out in consistent droves at the same number as our older counterparts. And so Bernie's colleagues that look like him, share his same age, you know, weren't necessarily out and about behind him in that scene. It was it was yet again the young people who are the future and it's important. But we'll see how his message plays and the name of the game with all of them, including Bernie, is Receipts. You know what's really fascinating, and I have to tell you, I, I I've probably spent entirely too much time chuckling over the last uh, several hours about one of the reactions to his announcement, which has been on Twitter. This hashtag Bernie so black. Yes. When yes. I tell you, here he, he, here are a couple pieces of magic. Uh, Bernie so black, his mortgage is subprime. Uh, <laughs> that shouldn't be funny, but but right, Bernie's so black. He's Rachel Dolezal's real father. Boop. Uh, right, no, like people have been going in. They have been going in. Oh, here's one. Bernie's so black. He put out an album called "We Shall Overcome," and it was made with a bunch of white musicians from Vermont. Apparently, that's a real thing and not a joke. But so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, so here's the thing, the the petty notwithstanding, because I mean, Bernie So Black has been trending for hours upon right. hours upon hours. And, and and it's interesting because I think while there is on one hand still a, a great contingent of people who are enthusiastic about Bernie, they feel like he is the only candidate who uh, could beat Trump in a presidential election in 2020. There's energy behind it. You're starting to see a lot more skepticism this time go around, even beyond 
you know, 2016 about how much, how far those receipts carry, right? How, how yep. deep are his bona fides? So that's an interesting I, dynamic. I mean, I'll say this and then I'll get to Jay Inslee. Bernie has been a senator for three decades. That is 30 years for those of us. I'm, I'm trying to save myself in the math. That Why is 30 years. And yet there is not a bill to, that he has been able to successfully push through, including when he was chairman of the Veteran Affairs Committee. So I'm not saying that to necessarily throw shade, but what I am saying is when you make these claims, it is important to have receipts because how are you going to give us uh, free tuition and, and be the boss in the White House if you could not distinguish yourself amongst 534 of your other colleagues in three decades? Moving on to Jay Inslee. So um, Jay Inslee has also announced he's a governor of uh, Washington, who was a former governor, I want to say, of, of um, Washington State. Um, and he has thrown his hat in the ring and he did it in an interesting way in which he's running off the platform of environmental justice, climate change, Um I'm hopeful because he's not a he is a seasoned politician. I'm sure he understands there needs to be more to that base and you know he needs to speak broadly, but I think that this is his way of trying to build a brand that is different from everybody else in this crowded field. Um and so, you know, what should people look for as they're wading into this? Again, this could get up to 20 some plus people on the Democratic side. And I don't think that we should get into the business of telling people they can't run. I do think, on the other hand, though, you should be true to yourself. And if you're not feeling them, I, you know, and this is the last thing I'll say. I was, talk, I was talking to a, a friend of mine and they had posted in a text that they just didn't feel inspired by a particular candidate. But the thing that hit me is, is inspiration the one the the silver bullet that we need to be able to fill a candidate because you have some candidates that can deliver that might not necessarily be charismatic and inspire you so you know go with go with your gut go with the receipts <laughs> you know let everybody throw their hat in the ring but be true to you take that little black book that we're going to make sure it's available to you here soon by 2020 <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we make sure you're able to build your strategy on who you want to see in this White House and why, you know, vote your strategy, build, build if, if it's the people you can feel that you can even manipulate better than others, build you a strategy and vote your strategy. Vote your strategy, but also I cannot wait to start seeing Republican primary contenders. I think it's going to happen. I know we have an incumbent president who is presumed to be running in 2020, but with everything going on, as we have discussed uh, during oh, he's this running. episode. I he, know, he ain't he, trying to be trapped in the closet with R. Kelly. He, he's, he's running. He, he's running, <laughs> but I, 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 don't, I don't know if I'm going to put money on it yet, but I am intrigued to see if he has any primary challengers. If anybody mm -hmm. in the Republican Party steps up and says, you know what, I can actually do this better. Because that's that's going to be real Liz interesting. Cheney is looking at you, Liz Cheney. 
Not saying no I'd tea, vote for her, but no tea, somebody. No shade. No tea, no shade. <laughs> well, we, we have mourned the Black History Month that was. We did our comedic recap of... <laughs> our recap wasn't comedic. Michael Cohen is just comedic. We'll say that. And that whole testimony was comedic. We hit all the bases. Today, we will keep an eye out on the voting rights um, Advancement Act. Yeah. Advancement Act and HR1. And we're going to keep this tally going for Democratic and potentially presidential contenders as beyond. Yeah. Yep, Donald Trump. Until next time, Breezy Bree, vote your strategy. Mm-hmm.